Good morning. Good to see each and every one of you here today. If you're visiting with us, we want to welcome you. We'd like to invite you to take out one of those cards that you see in front of you, and you can fill that out. There are two little black boxes there in the back of the auditorium, and that's just so we can express our appreciation for you being here with us this morning. I just love how children have this spirit of uh, innocent trust uh, that they display toward adults and their parents. Uh, to give an example of Titus, uh, if you, with, when, uh, when, when Anna and I, when we talk to Titus um, and try to get him to do something that we want, uh, even if it's something that's not so fun, if you make it sound exciting, he's going to be all into it. If you say, hey, buddy, we're going to go to Walmart, and we're, guess what? We're going to get groceries and it's gonna be fun and he'll be like oh yeah let's go to Walmart let's go to Walmart I love it I love how kids have this attitude of, of trust they trust what what you say uh, and, and and they have that kind of spirit and God God wants us to be that way God wants us to live with this spirit of innocent childlike trust uh, with, with the kind of trust that follows him that follows his leading that seeks him and gets excited about the things that excites him. That's what God desires of us, innocent, childlike trust. But the fact is, and we know this to be true, is that this world that we're currently living in is filled with disappointments. It's filled with broken promises. It's filled with crushed dreams. We see on TV, the TV commercial guy says, this, this, this product, this thing, it's going to change your life. It's going to make your existence so much easier and better than it was before. And then you buy into it and you buy the thing and you realize it's a piece of junk. <laughs> I've had that happen many times. The boss says to you that, you're going to get a nice Christmas bonus this year. All the employees, you're going to get something. You're going to get a check in the mail. And you're going to get to buy something extravagant uh, because of this wonderful Christmas bonus. And then Christmas rolls around, and what you get in the mail is a coaster and a T-shirt with a company logo on it. <laughs> uh, life is full of broken promises and disappointments. The husband, the wife, says that... They'll always be there. Husband says they'll always protect, always lead, always provide, always love. But years later, you see something very different by his actions that he displays towards you. Life is filled with disappointments. It's filled with broken promises. It's filled with crushed dreams. We don't trust like we used to because we've been burned so many times, over and over and over and over again. And it makes us, it tempts us to be skeptical the longer and longer we live in this life. And sometimes our skepticism, it bleeds into our relationship with God. And it hinders us from trusting like little children. We say, you know... All I've experienced is letdown after letdown, disappointment after disappointment, broken promise after broken promise, crushed dreamed one after another. How in the world will God's promises be any different? 
from what I've experienced while living in this life of disappointment. As we look in the book of Hebrews, this is what we see. This is exactly what the audience of the book of Hebrews is facing. They're so inundated with the painful realities of life that they're becoming more hardened. They're becoming more skeptical. Is this Christianity? Is following Jesus really worth it? It doesn't seem so. It doesn't seem like it in the moment. We're facing persecution. We're facing the plundering of our property. We're facing all of these painful realities of life because of this faith that we have embraced. And it seems like and it feels like that God is not going to keep all of those grandiose promises that he's made to us. And they're being tempted to become skeptical of the promises that God has made. That's the situation that we find within the book of Hebrews. However, the message that God gave to them and us today is that our hope in Jesus, it's solid and it's sure. The hope you have in Jesus Christ is the anchor of your soul. And what it does is it keeps your heart tender. It keeps it soft when you're tempted to be hardened by life's disappointments and broken promises. The kind of hope that God gives is so certain that it allows you to trust like a little child, even though you face disappointments, even though you've been let down by people in the past, even though people have broken their promises. The hope that you have in Jesus gives you the resources you need to be fully convinced that everything God has promised to you will come about. That's the message that we see in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 13 through 20. I want to dive into this passage and see this in all of its purity. Hebrews chapter 6, we're going to be looking at verses 13 through 20 from the English standard, standard Version. Let's start in verse 13 of Hebrews chapter 6. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. Now, we've seen the man Abraham, Father Abraham, multiple times in Scripture. Biblical authors over and again use him as a paradigm of faith. Paul in Romans chapter 4 says his faith was counted to him as righteousness. He was fully convinced. He fully believed in God's word, in God's promise uh, to lead him to a land, to give him a legacy and a heritage and a nation and descendants, and that all nations surrounding him would experience a blessing through him. Abraham believed that. Abraham is the man of faith. James says that uh, Abraham's faith was completed by his works. Abraham had works to back up his faith. That's what James tells us in James chapter 2. And likewise, the Hebrew author uses Abraham as a paradigm of faith 
to emulate and imitate within our own life in this world. But the great faith, and this is interesting, the great faith that Abraham displayed, it wasn't because Abraham the man had greater capability and capacity to trust more than the average person. If you look at the life of Abraham, some of the stories that we see in the book of Genesis, you see very clearly that Abraham was a very flawed individual. He was a very flawed person, just like you, just like me. Abraham was just this normal person. He didn't have this greater capacity somehow to trust more than you do or more than I do. Abraham had a lot of help. He had a lot of help which gave him great capability and great capacity to become a model of trust and a model of faith that we see within Scripture. And the question that the book of Hebrews answers for us is, what help did he have that helped him to become a man of faith? Notice with me the passage again. I'm going to read verses 13 and 14. You see it on the screen there. It says in verse 13, For when God made a promise to Abraham, and pay attention here, since he had no one greater by whom to swear God, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. I think we've all seen those TV shows, those courtroom TV shows, uh, where somebody, there's somebody sitting on the stand, on the witness stand, and they put their hand on the Bible, and then someone says to him, do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God? I'm sure you've seen that before. I'm sure you've seen that kind of oath that people have taken part in. What does that mean? That means that when, when they do that, when, you put your, when you're in a court of law, you put your hand on a Bible and you say, like, I, I, I swear to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help me God. What that is is that a person is appealing to something. They're swearing by something greater than themselves, which is intended to give greater weight to their testimony and witness that they are about to give. Now, why is that necessary? Why is it necessary to swear? Why is it necessary to swear by something greater than yourself? Why do we do that? We do that because people lie. <laughs> because people sometimes aren't truthful. They don't tell the truth sometimes. And that's a common uh, thing within human nature that we see over and again. Uh, humans aren't completely honest with the truth. And sometimes humans go back on their promises that they've made. Sometimes they change and they tweak the promise. So when you want to confirm with greater certainty that what you're saying is true then you swear an oath by something greater than yourself. That's the point of an oath. That's the point of swearing in that way. Now, when we look in the text, we see that God did something very similar with Abraham. He swore an oath to Abraham that his promise of blessing would certainly be fulfilled. God essentially says to Abraham, Abraham, I realize... And I know that this promise that I'm making you, 
that I'm going to give you a nation and a heritage and a land and I'm going to bless all nations through you, all of that stuff, I realize that that seems crazy. I realize that that seems wild. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you some help. I'm going to swear to you that this promise of blessing will certainly and surely come about. And, and because of God's sworn oath, it gave Abraham, the man of faith, encouragement and motivation to display great faith, even when the promise seemed like it would never be fulfilled. Abraham, as the text says, patiently waited because of God's solid and sure oath that he had sworn to him. So Abraham wasn't one with uh, this uh, innate... Uh, capability or capacity to, to really trust and have a lot of faith more so than the average person. Nothing born inside of him that gave him that capability to do that, to trust more than you. He had help. And what was the help? He had God's oath. God's sworn oath that this will happen. And what this tells us, and this is very interesting, God wanted Abraham to be absolutely convinced that he would keep his promise. And that tells us a lot about the character of God. Our God, the God that we worship and serve, he wanted to give Abraham every resource possible so that he could live in complete trust. God didn't want Abraham to just wander wild around in, in, in the land, not having obtained the promise, with no kind of clue or indication that this is real. Uh, God didn't want Abraham to have the attitude of, Does, is God even there? Is God even here? Is God even going to fulfill his promise? God wants Abraham to be fully confident, fully convinced that everything, no matter how grandiose, that he has promised to Abraham will be fulfilled. It will be a yes and an amen. That says a lot about who God is. God wanted Abraham to live with confidence and assurance that even though it seems crazy, this will happen. That's the point of the oath that God swears to Abraham. But not only did God swear an oath to Abraham, that's not the only thing that, te that, te that the text says, he swore by himself. God swore by himself to Abraham. Now that's a very curious thought. God swearing by himself. What does that mean? Let's look in our passage in verse 16. Verse 16 says, For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. I was once talking to a man who was making a promise, and he declared the promise this way to give more weight and validity to what he was saying. He said, I swear on my mother's grave that this what I'm telling you is going to come about. And what he meant by that was that he would risk the life of someone so precious to him, his mother, and if, if his word proved to be false. He was putting his mother, someone greater than him in his eyes, he was putting his mother's life on the line 
if this promise didn't come to fruition. Essentially, he's saying, may something catastrophic happen to my mother if what I'm telling you is not true. And that's what God does with Abraham, very very similarly. He says, Abraham, there's nothing, there's no one greater than me, God says. There's no one greater than me. The buck stops with me, Abraham. I swear an oath to you by myself. God essentially says, I swear to me that everything I promised you will happen. And if it doesn't, may something catastrophic happen to me. May I die if my promise does not come to fulfillment. That's what God says to Abraham. That's what's implied. And that's very interesting because if you think about it, this kind of a weighty oath that God the eternal heavenly being who cannot lie. This is very, very interesting because this oath, it isn't necessary at all. It isn't necessary at all for God to swear an oath to Abraham. When God makes a promise, when God makes a simple, simple promise, that should be well enough to let you know that that promise is going to be kept because it's within the nature of God not to lie. If you look in Titus chapter 1, verse 2, you say, God doesn't lie. God cannot lie. It's impossible for God to lie. All God has to do is simply say it. Say, look, I promise you this. This will happen. And then you can, you can be sure that that promise is going to, to, to be kept. So what's the point of the oath? <laughs> Why would God swear an oath if his promise is good enough? That's the burning question in this passage. What's the point of the oath? And the answer is this. When God swears by himself to Abraham, what he's doing when he swears this oath, God is acknowledging the fact that we live in a world, a world filled with disappointments and broken promises and crushed dreams. And the more and the more and the more you live in this world and face disappointments, the more skeptical you're tempted to become. You become less naive the longer you live. You become more attuned to the painful twists and turns that encompass this life. You become less and less and less like a trusting, innocent child and more like a hardened, skeptical adult. And this skepticism produced by disappointments and broken promises and crushed dreams may very well, and I've seen this happen so many times, may very well bleed into our relationship with God. I've been burned so many times. Why in the world should I trust a God that I can't even see, who makes such grand and spectacular promises to me. Skepticism that's produced by the painful realities of life is a very real threat in our Christian existence. And certainly it was to Abraham, make no mistake about it. But God, in His grace, and in His mercy, 
What does he do? He swears an oath to Abraham by himself, sealing his promise. And the purpose of that was for, so that Abraham could live with absolute certainty and confidence that what God is declaring to him will not change. The oath wasn't for God's sake. The oath was for Abraham's sake. God didn't even need to give an oath, but because he's a God of grace and because he's a God of mercy, he gives Abraham even more confidence and assurance that his word is solid and sure. And this gives Abraham encouragement to keep going, though the promise seems nuts. It seems crazy. Uh, And and even though Abraham lives in this world that's filled with disappointments and broken promises and, and, and crushed dreams, Abraham can look at God's oath and know for certain that the dream of a land, a nation, a legacy, and a blessing extended to the entire world is going to happen. There is nothing... Nothing that can stop it. This promise is irrevocable. God swore to Abraham in this way and gave him confidence and assurance, but not only to him. Take a look at the passage. Look in verse 17. So when God desired to show more convincingly To the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. That's amazing. I hope you're amazed by that fact. Just as God has done to Abraham, God has sworn an oath to all heirs of the promise to you, to me. God says to me, Keith, may something catastrophic happen to me. May I die if I don't fulfill my promise to you. What does he promise? I will help you. I will strengthen you. I will comfort you. I will pick you up. I will lift you up. I will uphold you. I will transform you into my own image. I will work everything together for your good. I will give you something unimaginably awesome and glorious to be experienced for an eternity in the future. If you remain in me, and may something catastrophic happen to me if that does not come about. And what's so amazing is that God can't die in the sense that he can't cease to exist in that way. So when he swears an oath to me, I can be fully confident fully convinced that his promise is binding and sure. And brothers and sisters, 
That is powerful. God wants you to be fully convinced, like Abraham, that everything he's promised to you will come about. That's a gift. That is God's gift to you. We sing blessed assurance, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. What we should sing is blessed double assurance. (laughs) God not only has given you blessed assurance, God has given you blessed double assurance that everything he's promised to you will come about, which helps you to be fully fully confident and convinced of his purposes for you. He's given you His promise, which should be good enough, but for our sake, He's given us His oath as well. Look with me in verse 18. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. God gives you two unchangeable, two irrevocable things. He gives you his promise and he gives you his oath to back up that promise. And since it's impossible for God to lie, everything he's promised to you is solid and it's sure. And those two things, God's promise and God's oath, gives you a solid foundation for hope. A hope that acts like an immovable anchor in your soul. Look in verse 19. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The hope that we have in Jesus that's built upon God's promise and God's oath, it's like an anchor. It's like, it's like a literal physical anchor, an anchor that's solid and sure. You know, and what, what, what does an anchor do? You, you're, you're on a ship, you're going through the ocean, and you drop an anchor into the depths of the ocean, ocean to fix you in one location so you do not move from that spot. That's what an anchor does. But the image here, and this is very interesting, the image here is that of an anchor not being dropped down into the depths of the sea, but an anchor that extends into the heavens and goes behind the curtain into the very dwelling place, the throne room of God, and fixes itself in the presence of God so you can be confident and sure That everything God has promised to you is a yes and an amen if you remain in him because of Jesus Christ and everything that he has done for us. Your soul is anchored in heaven because of Jesus if you remain in him. And that's a hope that you can be sure of, that you can be confident in life filled with all kinds of disappointments i've been disappointed you've been disappointed it's filled with broken promises it's filled with crushed dreams sometimes 
Our parents don't do the things that we want them to do. They hurt us in some way. They fail us. It leaves us broken and shattered and scarred. Sometimes loved ones pass away and it leaves us asking, why? What in the world, God? Sometimes life takes all of these kind of negative turns in an unforeseen direction and it leaves you crushed and it leaves you disappointment. Living in this sin-filled, cursed world, it tempts us to be hardened and skeptical because of disappointments and broken promises. But God, in His grace and His mercy, He knows this. He realizes this. He realizes this. He doesn't leave you on a lonely island and gives you no resources whatsoever to be to live with confidence that He is your God and that He is going to fulfill His promise to you. What does He do? He reaches down and swears to you that the hope He has given you through Jesus will not fade. It's solid. It's sure. Truth has sworn by itself that its truth shall truly be fulfilled. God has given you the ability by His grace, to live with this spirit of innocent, childlike trust and to dream big every single day like a little child, to dream big of a world without all of this pain and heartache. Even while we live here in this world of pain pain and heartache with numerous disappointments and broken, broken promises, what this text tells us and what God tells you this morning is that He wants you to be fully convinced that your hope is a solid and sure anchor. Even amidst the painful realities of life, you will receive what God has promised you with absolute certainty if you remain in Him. As we sang, we have an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure while the billows roll, fastened to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. God has given you every reason to trust like an innocent child. Won't you trust Him today? If you have any need, why don't we come forward as you stand as we stand and as we sing?